Well, greetings all. In this latest episode entitled A Practical Guide to Soul Talk, we're going to ask not just one question, which is what we've been normally doing, but we're going to ask three different questions to kick this episode off. The first is this, what is the price of feeling disconnected from our soul? What's that price? Second question is, has that price become so high or too high that we refuse to continue to pay it? And then the third question, what kind of language do we need to restart this conversation with our soul? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, that and more. And this means that you are listening to Poetry, Gossip, and the Pursuit of Pleasure with Dale Byron. That's me. And uh, this is a podcast where we delve into the creative and practical ways that poetry can help us in our everyday lives. And, uh, you know, as well, I like to say, finding little pockets of joy, sanity, and insight. Let's name it that way this week. So, um, by the way, uh, a number of people, I've had conversations with people uh, about the podcast and comments, a few comments about the title of the podcast. And, you know, I purposely have it be just a little bit, um, oh, I don't know, uh, a little a little coyote energy in that title, I guess you could say, because I both want to talk about the serious aspects of life uh, uh, when we're looking through a poetry lens, but I also want to have fun with it. That's why, you know, gossip and the pursuit of pleasure. Of course, the pursuit of pleasure is a very important thing. And um, so anyway, just a couple of comments on that. So delving right into our episode, uh, what if it turns out, uh, as I was thinking about today's uh, episode, what if it turns out that we can talk to our soul, uh, but for various reasons, we have not done so? Not because we didn't want to talk to our soul, but because we didn't have the right language. Yeah, not the right language. And what if the price of admission to that conversation is joyful, melancholy-filled, often beautiful and reverent language? What is what if that is the cost? Yes, what an amazing inquiry that would be. So let's go for it. Let's go for this uh, practical guide to soul talk. Um, it seems to me, uh, again, in terms of creating a little context for jumping into the first poem, uh, the soul says happiness is possible, but not on command. I think that's the message we get, not on command. In other words, we have to do things to, um, I always like to say, to marinate ourselves in a certain way, marinate ourselves in language and in conversations and in relationships so that what is um, uh, what is called forth uh, is this uh, connection with and conversation with our soul. And um, the first conversation with the soul, it, it occurs to me, really may be filled with quite a bit of melancholy and grieving, especially if we've not been in relationship that much or that often, and especially 
if we've not listened to the signals that our soul has given us um, for perhaps a very long time. So I think that's the that's really the title or the subject of this first poem by Antonio Machada, a wonderful Spanish poet. And uh, this particular poem was translated by the amazing Robert Bly. We'll hear from Robert Bly himself a little later in this episode. But um, this is a poem called The Wind One Brilliant Day by Antonio Machada. It goes like this. The wind one brilliant day, the wind one brilliant day, called to my soul with an odor of jasmine. In return for the odor of my jasmine, I'd like all the odor of your roses. But I have no roses. But I have no roses. All the flowers in my garden are dead. Well then, well then, I'll take the withered petals and the yellow leaves and the waters of the fountain. But the wind left. But the wind left. And I wept. And I said to myself, What have you done? with the garden that was entrusted to you. Now, of course, we're starting uh, in this episode in the deep end of the pool, no doubt. And I realized that. I thought, let's just go for it. <clears throat> because when we're talking about soul talk, when we're talking about having an ongoing conversation with our soul, with that deep, perhaps deepest, metaphorically and literally, I don't know, that deepest part of us, of each of us, if we've not been in contact with that part of us, not listening fully to ourselves and to that part of ourselves in particular, then the first encounter is going to be fierce, pretty much like this Antonio Machada poem. Let's hear it one more time. The wind, one brilliant day, called to my soul, called to my soul with an odor of jasmine. In return for the odor of my jasmine, I'd like all the odor of your roses. I have no roses. I have no roses all. The flowers in my garden are dead. Well then, says the wind, I'll take the withered petals and the yellow leaves and the waters of the fountain. But the wind left, and I wept, and I wept. And I said to myself, what have you done with the garden that was entrusted to you? Antonio Machada, born 1875, lived short life only till 1939, was a Spanish poet, as I said, and one of the leading figures of the Spanish literary movement known as the Generation of 98, 
he was just an amazing, a lot of tragedy in his life, actually, but just an amazing, amazing poet. So at least now we have the conversation started, even though it's difficult, we have the conversation started. So um, we just did a translation by Robert Bly of a Antonio Machado poem, but now let's look to um, the poetic master himself, Robert Bly, who, um, you know, who we just lost a few years ago. He lived a very long life, well up into his 90s. And um, he wrote a poem called um, Conversation with the Soul, Robert Bly. And it goes like this. The soul said, the soul said, give me something to look at. So I gave her a farm. She said, it's too large. So I gave her a field. The two of us sat down. The two of us sat down. Sometimes I would fall in love with a lake or a pine cone, but I liked her most. But I liked her most. She knew it. She knew it. Keep writing, she said. Keep writing, she said. So I did. So I did. Each time the new snow fell, we would be married again. The holy dead sat down by our bed. This went on for years. This field is getting too small, she said. Don't you know anyone else to fall in love with? What would you have said to her? Oh, I just love the mischievous. Uh, this is the point I was trying to make with the with the title of my podcast. Uh, I'm trying to uh, get a little bit of that mischievousness, that coyote energy, um, you know, to be able to talk about it in such a way. So sometimes paradoxically, you can, uh, coming from that coyote energy, you can make an even more um, uh, a deeper, more serious point. It's paradoxical. Anyway, but I love this Robert Bly, this, this cowdy energy that he has. He says, the soul said, give me something to look at. The soul said, give me something to look at. Look at. So I gave her a farm. She said, it's too large. So I gave her a field. Two, the two of us sat down. Sometimes I would fall in love with a lake or a pine cone, but I liked her most. She knew it. She knew it. Keep writing, she said. So I did. So I did. Each time the snow fell, we would be married again. The holy dead sat down by our bed. This went on for years. This field is getting too small, she said. Don't you know anyone else to fall in love with? What would you have said to her? You know, we talk about being able to walk inside a poem. We talk about being able to have our own experience inside that poem. Boy, Robert Bly is inviting us in, isn't he? He's inviting us to have our own experience. He's inviting us to answer these questions. What would you tell your soul? What would you do? What would you have? What would you have done in those circumstances? Amazing images, fantastical language, language that takes, you know, sometimes I think of this, 
Um, and 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 uh, Bly actually came up with this metaphor. He said that poems take great leaps, and the reason you know they've taken a great leap is that you see the dragon smoke, the wisp of dragon smoke, where that great leap has been taken. And in this poem, he's taking those leaps himself. Bly is taking those leaps himself. And even sometimes if we get lost in the poem, we don't care. We, we, uh, we are having our own experience. And plus, there's part of us, maybe our soul, that knows exactly what the protagonist in this poem is saying. Okay. Um, I happened to notice when I was preparing for this episode this week, I noticed a great Rumi uh, quote on this subject. He says, my soul is el elsewhere. Rumi said, my soul is elsewhere. I'm sure of that. And I intend to end up there. Now, see, there's another guy, Rumi, you know, when he when he would when he would talk about something, when it was something most serious, he would often use humor. And then uh, if it was humorous, he would often talk about it in a serious way. <laughs> oh, as I've said before, Stafford used to say, poems aren't even fair. Half the time they say what they don't mean, and the other half they mean what they don't say. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's poetry for you. Okay. Just when we thought it could not get more... Mm, complex, wonderfully, simply complex. Uh, let's use that paradox, because we're going to jump into a little poem written by the great German poet Rilke. It's a poem called Love Song, and I hope that you will agree with me that it deserves to be in this episode on soul talk, how to do it, what to, when to do it, and uh, why. Love Song, Rilke the great German poet, said it like this. When my soul touches yours, a great chord sings. When my soul touches yours, a great chord sings. Oh, I'm sorry. How shall I tune it then to other things? How shall I tune it then to other things? Oh, that same spot in darkness could be found that does not vibrate Whenever your depth sound, but everything that touches you and me wells us as played strings sound one melody. Where is the instrument whence the sounds flow? And who's the master hand that holds the bow? Oh, sweet song. Mm. love song. I think, by the way, I didn't put it in my notes, and I apologize for that, but I think that that's, this may also be a Bly translation. I'm not exactly sure of uh, Rilke, uh, written in the, in the original poem, written, of course, in German. Um, let's do that one more time. When my soul touches yours, a great chord sings. How shall I tune it then to other things? Oh, that same spot in darkness could be found that does not vibrate whene'er your depth sound. But everything that touches you and me wells us as played strings sound one melody. 
Oh, what a what a line. Wells us as played strings sound one melody. Where is the instrument whence the sounds flow? And the and who's the master hand that holds the bow? Oh, sweet song. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I just had to include that that poem where, uh, you know, that first line, when my soul touches yours, a great chord sings. What a love poem. What a love poem. But it's got some twists and turns in it. See, that that's what great poetry does. Remember, we talked about that a, that a great poem has to have, at least in my humble opinion, some kind of surprise in it, some kind of little... And uh, there are a number of those in here uh, where, uh, you know, he just... He's Rilke seems like he wants to break free. He's he's um, in it, it is it's a kind of um, uh, he's just uh, blown away by this love. And yet there's a way in which his soul, he wants to separate his soul, but his soul is together with the other person. Um, it just ah, it just uh, uh, I think this poem again it's it's one that makes our soul just go yeah that's it <laughs> and we might not even know why that's it okay um i wanted to mention i happened to be in spain um uh, late last year and um uh, i was in a a little mountain town not not so little but smaller um and it's a town in spain called ronda and it, and I was particularly interested to be there because um, Rilke wrote, he came out of a great being blocked um, by in his writing and he came out of it in Rhonda. And uh, I was looking at an article and by that, I mean that he went to Rhonda and he started writing again and he started, you know, the muse was there for him. So I thought this is a wonderful town. They've got a statue there and all sorts of stuff. But I, in an article, it said on a whim, he took a train to Rhonda. I can't remember. He was in one of the big cities, but um, he, he said, uh, and, and this is the turn of the, of the last century, the early. Um, uh, yeah. So it was, it was, uh, well, he died and he was born in 1875 and died in 1926. So it was the early 1900s when he was in Rhonda. He said, uh, or the article said, on a whim, Rilke took a train to Rhonda, an ancient city high up in the mountains of Andalusia. There he took a room in the Hotel Reina Victoria. I wandered all around that hotel. It was amazing. That's where the statue was. Built in the 19th century to attract well-to-do English tourists from Gibraltar. Looking out from his room over the deep ravine, I saw this same scene, by the way, seems bigger than life, which divides the city in two. Rilke was transfixed by the landscape, writing enthusiastically to another of his female friends. He praised the strong and splendid air of Rhonda and the mountains which spread out like an altar, like an altar you could sing psalms from. Well, I know in this case, I actually know what he's talking about. I was there. What a, I'm so grateful for the having had the opportunity to be there and walk on that ground, look at that site, see those mountains that inspired Rilke so much. Okay, 
So let's switch gears again. Now we're going to go to um, uh, the poet Pablo Neruda. So it's our last poem. And um, this poem is called Between the Shadow and the Soul. So see, we're, we're still talking about how do you talk to your soul? What is the language that we need for our soul? Um, what, what, how do we need to pickle ourselves in order to be able to get in touch, to, to reconnect, to be connected, to perceive our connection with our soul? And I think that's what we're talking about today is this kind of language. Okay, by uh, Between the Shadow and the Soul by Pablo Neruda, translated by Mark Eisner. This was originally written in um, uh, Spanish. He says it like this. I don't love you as if you were a rose of salt, topaz, or arrow of carnations that propagate fire. How about that for a first line? I don't love you. I don't love you as if you were a rose of salt, topaz, or arrow of carnations that propagate fire. I love you as one loves certain obscure things, secretly between the shadow and the soul. I love you as the plant that doesn't bloom but carries the light of those flowers hidden within itself, and thanks to your love, the tight, the tight aroma that arose from the earth lives dimly in my body. I love you without knowing how or when or from where. I love you directly without problems or pride. I love you like this because I don't know any other way to love except in this form in which I am not, nor are you, so close that your hand upon my chest is mine, so close that your eyes close with my dreams. I don't love you as if you were a rose of salt, topaz, or arrow of carnations that propagate fire. I love you as one loves certain obscure things secretly between the shadow and soul and the soul. I love you as the plant that doesn't bloom but carries the light of those flowers hidden within itself. And thanks to your love, the tight, the tight aroma that arose from the earth lives dimly, dimly in my body. I love you without knowing how or when or from where. I love you directly without problems or pride. I love you like this because I don't know any other way to love except in this form in which I am not, nor are you so close that your hand upon my chest is mine, so close that your eyes close with my dreams. Pablo Neruda 
was born in 1904 and uh, died in 1973. He adopted this pseudonym, uh, Pablo Neruda, Neruda uh, under which he would become famous while still in his early teens. Quite a talent, quite an amazing human being. He grew up, um, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this, Tumuco, in the backwoods of southern Chile, Neruda is considered one of the greatest and most influential poets of the 20th century. His work has been translated into dozens of languages. Just as a note, uh, the the dictator Pinochet, um, backed by elements of the armed forces, denied permission for Neruda's funeral to be made a public event. Remember, this was 1973. But thousands of of grieving Chileans disobeyed the curfew and crowded the streets. Power of poetry. Okay, that's a wrap, or almost a wrap. I have a few closing thoughts. So I think there are needed steps if we want to be in touch, if we want to be connected with, if we want to be... Uh, in conversation with our soul. And first is we've got to recognize the realness of the soul as your, as our own deepest reality shared with every other being and every other thing. The second is to avoid what I call clickbait for the soul. <laughs> Click. Clickbait soul language, which um, is the kind of thing that claims that you can manipulate the external world to resolve uh, inner um, yearnings and seekings. And I think the soul is very much stands for something different. Our inner yearnings must be addressed internally. That's where that work belongs. And there's no external thing that we're going to create uh, out there in the world, quote unquote, that's going to feed the soul. It's going to have us be connected fully to our soul. That's interior work, internal work. And finally, number three, we must find the language that speaks to our soul. Find the language that speaks to your soul, yes, and speak that language often. Okay, that is a wrap. As I always say, thank you so much for your listening ear. Thank you, thank you so much. And uh, if there's a comment you want to make, you want to, if there's a question you have, send me a note, and um, you know. Uh, refer the podcast to uh, to someone that you think that might enjoy it. Word of mouth is always the most powerful thing. And uh, as I always say, until next time and next poems, please take good care of yourself. Mm-hmm.